Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. What's up, everybody? Dawson here. Going to do some more reading for you. Um, this is common defense, so I'm basically going to look up common, the words common defense, in the Google Drive, see what comes up, and then we'll be doing some reading from that. I hope you're doing well tonight. Tonight is October 27th, 9.27 p.m. I'm Donaldson. This is common defense. Let me see. I'm trying to get under a, uh, a stairwell because it's raining. Hold on one second, everybody. Uh, you know. Options actually, which we can read from summary of the Articles of Confederation. The one article. I see what this says. The the Articles of Confederation, of course, um, establish the name of the Confederation with these words: "The style of this Confederacy shall be the United States of America." Two. Asserts the equality of the separate states with the confederation government, i.e., each state retains its sovereignty, freedom, and independence, and every power, jurisdiction, and right, which is not by this confederation expressly delegated. Three. Does not call the United States a nation, but instead says the state... The said states hereby severally enter into a firm league of friendship with each other for their common defense, the security of their liberties, and their mutual and general welfare, binding themselves to assist each other against all force offered to or attacks made upon them or any of them on account of religion, sovereignty, trade, or any other pretense, whatever. 
establishes freedom of movement. Anyone could pass freely between the states, excluding paupers, vagabonds, and fugitives from justice. All people are entitled to the rights established by the state into which he travels. If a crime is committed in one state and the perpetrator flees to another state, he will be extradited to and tried in the state in which the crime was committed. Five, locates one vote in the Congress of the Confederation. The United States in Congress assembled to each state which was entitled to a delegation of between two and seven members. Members of Congress were appointed by state legislatures. Also, individuals could not serve more than three out of any six years. Six, only the central government was allowed to conduct foreign relations and to declare war. No states could have navies or standing armies or engage in war without permission of Congress although the existence of state militias are encouraged. Whenever an army is raised for common defense, colonels and military ranks below colonel will be named by the state legislatures. Expenditures by the United States will be paid by funds raised by the state legislatures and apportioned to the states based on the real property values of each. Nine, defines the power of central government to declare war, to set weights and measures, including coins, and for Congress to serve as a final court for disputes between states. And ten, defines a committee of the states to be a government when Congress is not in session. 11. Requires nine states to approve the admission of a new state into the Confederacy. It pre-approved Eastern Canada if it had applied for membership. 12. Reaffirms that the Confederation accepts war debt incurred by Congress before the existence of the Articles. And 13. That the Articles are perpetual and can only be altered by approval of Congress with ratification by all the state legislatures. That was a summary of the Articles of Confederation. This is Donaldson with Common Defense. And now some excerpts from English common law and Indiana jurisprudence. More than 200 years ago, the Northwest Territory, which was comprised of present-day Indiana, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Ohio, and parts of Michigan and Minnesota, adopted a reception statute, which brought elements of the English common law into the decisional case law of the territory. This statute was substantially similar to a provision passed by the General Convention of Virginia Representatives and Delegates in 1776, which adopted portions of the English common law, as well as statutes passed prior to 1607 in furtherance of the common law. The Act, and those like it, 
are known as common law reception statutes. Variations of these statutes are in force of many states. Are in force in many states. <clears throat> One moment, people. The significance of adopting the English common law into the decisional law of Indiana is twofold. The English common law provides Indiana with a broad body of substantive law drawn from generations of human experience on the British Isles, as Justice Shake observed in Helms v. American Security Company of Indiana, the common law of the land is based upon human experience in the unceasing effort of an enlightened people to ascertain what is right and just between men. Although the early law of England and Indiana changed significantly over time, English common law, whatever its faults, provided early Indiana judges and practitioners a baseline from which to build the jurisprudence of a new sovereign. As a practical matter, English common law, which is often reduced to the four-volume Blackstone's commentaries as a convenient shorthand was also far more accessible than any other source of law. In the early 19th century, systematic reporting of appellate court decisions and the well-stocked courthouse library had yet to be developed. Second, adoption of the common law reception statutes is significant because it initiated a common law judiciary in Indiana. Neither Indiana nor the Northwest Territory was required to adopt a common law system. Instead of incorporating the common law of England, the Indiana Territory could have adopted a civil law system derived from non-British sources such as the Napoleonic Code or Roman law. Early Hoosier lawmakers could have taken an entirely different approach and allowed the courts to find their own common law in the Indiana, Indiana wilderness. It was not a foregone conclusion that Indiana would adopt the English common law. The Virgin Islands provided an interesting example. The Virgin Islands were a Danish territory until 1917. Under Danish sovereignty, excuse me, under Danish, sovereign, under Danish sovereignty, the Virgin Islands received Danish statutory and common law. Under Danish sovereignty, the Virgin Islands received Danish statutory and common law. After cession to the United States, Danish law continued until 1921, when the islands adopted a statute receiving the English common law. Currently, the rules of decision in courts of the Virgin Islands are found in the re restatement of the law 
as approved by the American Law Institute, as generally understood and applied in the United States. Danish law still survives to some extent, particularly in the area of property relationships. On the other hand, because there were several cultural forces at work, the outcome could have been different. William Henry Harrison was governor of the Indiana Territory when the reception statute was passed for a second time in 1807. It seems inconsistent for Harrison to embrace the very same common law system used by England. Indeed, it was by no means certain that the United States would adopt a common law at all. On, su on the subject of a federal common law, Thomas Jefferson wrote to Edna Randolph on August 18, 1788. He said, Of all the doctrines which have ever been broached by the federal government, the novel one of the common law being in force and cognizable as an existing law in their courts is to me the most formidable. All their assumptions of ungiven powers has been in the detail. The bank law, the treaty doctrine, the sedition act, the alien act, the undertaking to change the state laws of evidence in the state courts by certain parts of the stamp act, etc., etc., have been solitary, inconsequential, timid things in comparison with the audacious, fair-faced, and sweeping pretension to a system of law for the United States without the adoption of their legislature and so infinitely beyond their power to adopt. If this assumption be yielded to, the state courts may be shut up, as there will then be nothing to hinder citizens of the same state from suing each other in the federal courts, in every case as on a bond, for instance, because the common law, say, is their law. Because the common law, they say, is their law. Let me read that sentence one more time. If, if this assumption be yielded to, the state courts may be shut up as there will be nothing to hinder citizens of the same state from suing each other in federal court in every case, as on a bond, for instance, because the common law, they say, is their law. Now, that's what uh, Thomas Jefferson said. You hear that? Give me one sec, folks. You know, this is interesting, but uh, we're going to move it on a little bit here to something else. Let's see what else comes up um, in the comment search for common defense. Donaldson, with 3% here at 941 p.m., Thursday, October 27th, a promise of Cooley's city, traces of local constitutionalism, Let me look for the words common defense and, and see where they are in this document. Well, the word common is mentioned at least 33 times in this document. Let's see. Take a quick look here. Common destiny, common vessel with common guidance. Common ruin, but no common defense.
common thought of man. There is a governing body of recent scholarly literature examining Cooley's constitutional philosophy. Alan R. Jones, The Constitutional Conservatism of Tom and McIntyre Cooley, 122-65. Harold Hyman and Stuart Brecci's Editions, 1977, Discussing Cooley's Due Process Philosophy. Paul W. Kahn, Legitimacy in History, 73-77-1992, Describing Cooley's Philosophy as Combing History and Science by Identifying Constitutional Law with the Common Law. Whoa. Describing Cooley's philosophy as combining history and science. Combining history and science by identifying constitutional law with the common law. Ooh, that's neat. That's different. I didn't realize they were actually separate at at one point. But here we go, folks. Philip, Philip S. Paulden, A Covenant with Death documenting the connection between Cooley's Jacksonian roots and his constitutional jurisprudence. Paul D. Kerrigan, Law as the Common the common Thoughts of Men. Law as the Common Thoughts of Men, the law teaching and judge of Thomas McIntyre Cooley. Judging of Thomas McIntyre Cooley. Discussing the origins of Cooley's constitutional jurisprudence and comparing his philosophies to those of Langdale and Holmes. Herbert Volkenkamp. Hovenkamp. The Classical Corporation in American Legal Thought. 76 G-O dot L dot J dot 1593. 1618 to 23, 1988, summarizing Cooley's position on the contract clause and its relationship to his position on substantive due process. Okay? Really, what I'm doing is I'm giving you some references. Uh, Let's go up, actually, up to the document here. Let's read the final statement here. Finally, even more difficult questions arise when local governments themselves enact the kind of broad prohibitions against local government action that were at issue in Seattle School District and Romer. Such local pre-commitments to under-enforce the Constitution might defend as the consequence of local political choice and therefore distinguish and distinguish from state pre, uh, preclusions of local constitutional enforcement. You know what? I'm going to read that sentence again. Finally, even more difficult questions arise when local governments themselves enact the kind of broad prohibitions against local governmental action that were at issue, issue in Seattle School District and, uh, and Romer. Such local pre-commitments to under-enforce the Constitution might be defended as the consequence of local political choice and therefore distinguished from state preclusions of local constitutional enforcement. The Sixth Circuit recently adopted this view, including on remand in Equality Foundation Incorporated versus City of Cincinnati that Cincinnati's enactment of its own version of Colorado's Amendment 2 did not violate Rumor's rule. The Sixth Circuit explained that the city's charter provision, unlike Colorado's 
state constitutional amendment serves as a means of shifting decisional power from the city's city council to the people of the city as a whole. The court concluded that such an internal shift in its institutional power did not raise the same concerns presented by a state's attempt to deny local government the authority to act through whatever institutional mechanism they might prefer. Now, there is quite a bit uh, more to read, but I am going to go ahead and call it a quick telephone call and call it a note. I'm done talking on the phone, but I also have to charge my iPhone, and the battery is dying. So, again, this is Donaldson here doing another common defense episode for you. You guys have a good night. Tune in again. Thanks a lot. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.